Please join me in prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, lead us to your cross today, that through the Lenten pilgrimage we may see you more clearly, and that the reality that we have through faith in you may be defined in vivid, vivid color and with radiant details of your love and your grace for us. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. One of the things that I'm a little bit backlogged on is my movie watching. And I'm kind of waiting for things to open up because there's a fistful of movies that are backlogged that are ready to step forward and, and be a part of uh, the, the story of our, of our culture and of our, our lives. Now, for me, I, I don't necessarily go to every movie that's the coolest movie in the world. I don't sit and, and, and buy tickets anticipating online. But there are a couple of coming attractions that are particularly attractive to the three kinds of movies that I would ever participate and pay money to watch. The first, of course, is the James Bond genre of movies. Clearly, a marvelous set of movies of action and thrill and adventure where the good guy always wins and the bad guy, no matter how nefarious, always loses. I can pretty much guarantee that my wife and I will go and see this James Bond movie, which will be Daniel Craig's final movie as James Bond. And don't I feel old when I say I remember even Sean Connery and Timothy Dalton, but it is what it is. The other genre of movies that we like to see are called Marvel movies. And Marvel movies are Iron Man and Hulk and Thor and all of those. Heavy on special effects, heavy on computer animations, not much on depth of character and those kind of things. But we really look forward to seeing that because you sit in the theater and the reality is that it's this huge thing in front of you and the theater seems to shake when the action comes on the screen. The final genre of movies that the Klinkenbergs care for are the Top Gun genre of movies. To this date, only one of those has been put forward, and we look forward to the next one, which was supposed to come out in December. But this is a movie that I grew up with. This is a movie that I know every line, every bit of the story. I can sing all the songs. You get it all figured out. You know exactly how it's going to go. You know that... And I hope with all my heart that this one's very similar, except with faster airplanes and maybe a few more twists and turns to the plot. All we get on these movies is a little snippet, a little piece, a little preview, a little idea of what's going to happen. And then we go in and we participate and we become a, a part of the experience going in to the movie. In our text this morning from John chapter 2, verses 18 through 22, I pulled out of that pericope. Jesus leads us to the preview of what's going on. He leads us to what's going to happen in his life in the weeks ahead. He leaves no uncertainty. And he's so powerful in telling the story, so powerful in hooking together the events, that after the events have occurred, the disciples shake their heads and they say, you know what, you're right, this is, we remember when he told this and when he did that, and now we believe in what he said and who he is. Powerful piece of scripture. 
The Jews then responded to him, What sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, It has taken 46 years to build this temple and you are going to raise it in three days. But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, the disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. What do you believe? What do you believe about the reality within which you live? Do you believe that what you see and what you feel and what you touch and what you think is the ultimate in reality? Or do you believe that there's something greater, something more eternal, something that connects you to God in a way that changes and transforms your your whole life and your whole perception of reality? The disconnect for the Jewish people standing there that day was that between a figment of their imagination in what Jesus had said and the reality of what he was going to do. And those did not collide. Like a movie that's filled with fantasy and hyperbole, like a movie that's filled with action that could never happen. Jesus looks and he says, if you tear this temple down, I'll raise it up in three days. And at this point, Jesus' entourage is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Jesus is not gaining steam in the reality of the people. Rather, in the reality of the people, he's becoming more of a renegade, more of an outlaw. And indeed, his prophecy that his body would be broken down and raised up again for the hearts and the reason of the people to whom he was speaking that day, it it didn't make sense. But that was reality nonetheless. What's your reality? What do you think about? What is real to you? And how do you form the behaviors of your life, the disciplines of your life, the structure of your life around your reality? Some of us, and I had a friend who was like this, it it seemed like his life was kind of a movie. And depending on what was the cool movie of the day, he would take on the persona of whether it was Richard Gere or Tom Cruise or Brad Pitt or whatever, and he would say things, we would smile and we'd go, yeah, you just think you're Brad Pitt. His reality was a little bit off, and then we as his friends would tease him back into what really, really was. But sometimes reality is really hard. Because reality is unrelenting. We have a marvelous opportunity inside this sanctuary today and inside our auditorium. We have a marvelous opportunity to be reaffirmed in the reality of God's love. Because the seeming reality that we live in now is sometimes difficult to swallow. And if you throw in a comorbidity of depression or acute sin or guilt or an emotional tug at life, reality becomes unrelenting. Something has to break into reality to make it okay. Maybe a bigger reality needs to dawn. And sometimes reality is there for us when we get back from our little trip into denial. Well, I'll go here, I'll do this, I'll suspend my reality, I'll, 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 I'll look at what's going on and I'll say, well, whatever, and 
And it seems that what is going on right now has a way of knocking back on the door and saying, I'm here. There's bills to pay. There's work to do. There's virus out there. There's all sorts of stuff going on, and it'll be here for you when you're ready for it. And that denial leads to kind of a sense of escapism. The idea in kind of a hollow way that everything will just be okay no matter what. Do you believe in the wisdom of the wise? Do you believe in the intelligence of the intelligent? Do you believe in the reasoning of the reasonable? Or do you confess Jesus Christ and Him crucified as the reality of your life? I would offer that sitting here socially distanced with masks on in a sanctuary, that you confess the reality of Jesus and His cross for you. And that has affected your thinking, your behaviors, the, the, the way you find identity in and of yourself. As a matter of fact, the identification of who you are is found in Christ. Because for us who confess Christ, Jesus defines reality. He does it through the voice of Paul in our epistle lesson today, confounding the, the wisdom of the wise, confounding the intelligence of the intelligent, and leading us back to the cross of Christ. Because death comes from life. Because healing comes from brokenness. Because light comes from darkness. And closeness with God for us comes from alienation from the Father, from the Son. Jesus defines His reality. Destroy this temple, He says, and I will raise it up in three days. You see what's going to happen. The Son of Man will suffer and die and rise again. He will bring life and immortality to light. Here's the coming attraction. Here's what's going to happen. The disciples must have been kind of freaked out a little bit. The people in the crowd said, this isn't reasonable. And Jesus said, I will not be deterred from the reality of the cross. The cross. The cross means we have peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ. We are connected to God through faith in His Son. And our sins are forgiven in Jesus Christ. That peace, that reality for us, that God is not an angry God who breathed out the Ten Commandments and said, good luck keeping them. But rather God, our God, actively obeyed the law and the will of His Father. And when he died was the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the whole world. And that's reality. He also promised his presence in, in our present reality. He promised that he would be with us and walk with us peacefully through times that are good and times that are painful. We would never be deserted or abandoned, but the God of peace would be our constant companion throughout our lives. And He also promises us that gift of heaven and eternal life. That the presence of God does not end at the present reality or at the end of our days here, but that the promise of God lasts forever. And that's reality. Reality seems, too, that things are transitioning, all sorts of things happening. Numbers are tracking down. Vaccine numbers are, are, are going up. 
people walking into church today and people standing in a funeral I was a part of yesterday saying, I got my shot, I got my thing, I'm doing good. Pastor, do we still have to wear our mask? And I said, well, you still have to wear your mask for a while. It's going to be okay. Things are opening. Maybe we'll get to go to our movie. Maybe we'll get to see Tom Cruise. I'm not sure, but no doubt things are opening up. And those are all good things to look forward to. And yet as Christians, there's something bigger and better than all of these marvelous blessings. Because you are tied into a bigger reality than just what we see. You are tied into the reality of Jesus' love. A love for you that is persistent. That when you feel unloved or unlovable, the love of Jesus is a persistent force in your life. And it's that cross and that resurrection that reminds you that you are loved completely. And that that love will never let you go or walk away from you. And His love for you is pervasive. There's not a part of you that He doesn't love. There's not a part of you that He doesn't redeem. His love for you encompasses your whole life. His love for you fills everything in every way. And that love for you never, ever fails. He sealed that promise on His cross. And the love of Jesus for you is prevailing. Through this season and this time, the love of Jesus prevails for you and me. Those who are isolated and struggling, they find a a place of peace in that prevailing love of Jesus, find a way to be dialed into community today, maybe on on a video screen in their home, maybe through a phone call or a text message or an email, they're reminded that they are loved and they are connected because the love of Jesus lived out in the community of the church is a prevailing love, a love that lasts until we are home with him. One of the things that's been really hard over this time has been the isolation with funerals and those things. As a touchy-feely person, I want to hug and grab and wrap up and wipe away tears and calm trembling hands and those things, and I've been largely unable to do that. I have a backlog of hugs and, and, and of love that I need to give to a lot of people. Yesterday, a little bit of an era came to an end in a funeral that we had had here. Betty, who usually sits between you all and you all in that second pew, passed away a while ago at 103 years old. 103 years old. Unbelievable. There she was born in a rural setting in northeast Iowa went to meet the love of her life, Mr. Willis Bredehoft, who was my principal at Orange Lutheran High School years ago, a teacher at St. John, a principal at St. John's, a principal in Dearborn, Michigan, a principal in Michigan, and every place they went, Betty went, took the kids and brought a love of music with them. Now, taking the kids was not an easy task because there was nine kids in the Bredehoft family. And yes, with nine kids, she lived to be 103. That's not bad. Her reality was founded in Jesus Christ. 
the reality of who she was and what she was all about, whether it was leading worship as an organist from the bench or providing piano lessons even to Mitchell, who is one of our fabulous quartet people today, or offering love and care to grandchildren and great-grandchildren, playing games and reminding them to pray for one another and to say their prayers before they go to bed. There's not a monument named after her. There's not a statue of her. There's not a, 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 a bunch of wealth that is going here or there for her. There's, there's not this huge thing that's going on that the world would say, if your life is valuable, then you have. But the meaning and the blessing of a life lived well and the reality of faith in Jesus Christ is something for all of us to see, to give thanks for, and to emulate. Because reality is right there in the pretty brown eyes, in the beautiful curly hair, in the same smile that she had when she was confirmed in rural Iowa in the mid-1930s. Reality. Christ on the cross for the forgiveness of sins and a promise to walk with us day by day. Whether it's 35 years, 57 years, or 103 years. Reality in life formed at the cross, delivered by faith. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.